as Frank said, we're talking about eating, and I really like eating. It's one of my favourite ways to bring people together. I love experimenting with food. But yeah, eating food is definitely the best bit. Kind of a dining room table is like one of my happiest places. <laughs> There's this phenomenon in my family which anyone who's had the joy of eating a meal with me um, and watching me try and catch my food as I eat it because I'm so eager. Um, it's called the Happy Tommy Dance, bear with me. And uh, me and my sister do it simultaneously when we're sat at a table smell of good food coming out and we just kind of sort of sit ready to eat and without even thinking, completely unaware of ourselves, we just go. It's kind of like making room for the, the dinner that's anticipated. But um, maybe not this setup, but dinners can sometimes be quite intense. In fact, before I ever started dating, um, I was warned, I was warned, never to let a first date be a meal. Because if you've only got to the start and they've already mentioned their pet cat 20 times, it's quite a lot of time and money that they're going to go on to waste. Or if there's like, a group setting and there's someone, you're making these look hard. <laughs> there's a group setting and there's someone new in it and you're trying to figure out the dynamic. And a meal can be quite quite an unavoidable, kind of inescapable place to be until you finish your course and you can flee. But um, we're gonna, gonna look at less superficial reasons for loving food, for loving meals, because Jesus loves them too. And uh, we're gonna look at things that are quite powerful about the dining table, quite powerful about coming together, eating together, the way he did it, the reasons he did it, and uh, what can happen, most importantly, when we invite him to it. So maybe imagine a fourth chair here. Imagine Jesus sitting with us. Um, and uh, yeah, to begin with, we're gonna sort of immerse ourselves in two stories, two examples of Jesus sharing a meal together. And uh, the first one, um, we're going to look at how he, he transforms what's quite a mundane part of our day. I don't know if you're like me, but I kind of write off these parts of our days, the working, sleeping, the eating. It's like, Jesus probably won't move in those, he's going to move in the church meeting or the, the unusual social gathering or, you know, that prayer time spent in my room when I'm trying to be holy. But not when I'm eating, not when I'm like hurrying around the house, just late for a lecture trying to scoff my lunch, not when I'm just tired at the end of the day or just having that coffee with a friend. Um, so we're going to zoom in on this part of our day, as we all eat, um, and look at how Jesus does it in two stories. The first, we're going to zoom in on the aspect of community, how Jesus brings about community, how he um, creates a space to share life together, to get to know each other more, um, and really values that time of coming around the table. We're going to go to a traditional story that many of you may have heard of the Last Supper. This is um, sometimes called the First Communion, the first sort of, um, meal with Jesus in the memory of his life and all his works. And um, it's the last time he eats with his disciples before he goes on to trial and crucifixion. And uh, we're going to take it from the message version. And yeah, we're going to zoom in on how he, how he uses this space in this time. verses 14 to 20, the message. When it was time, he sat down, all the apostles with him, and said, you've no idea how much I've looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you before I enter my time of suffering. It's the last one I'll eat until we all eat it together in the kingdom of God. 
Taking the cup, he blessed it, then said, Take this and pass it among you. As for me, I'll not drink wine again until the kingdom of God arrives. Taking bread, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Eat in my memory. He did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant, written in my blood, blood poured out for you. Pause. I want us to close our eyes and just picture being at that table. We're at that last supper with Jesus. Where are you sat, where's he sat? Get a feel for the room in. Was it like to be in the physical presence of Jesus? Sharing that time with him, sharing your thoughts with him, eating that meal together, chatting about the day, chatting about what's ahead, maybe. What I find really fascinating about this story in the Bible, you can open your eyes now, is two things in particular. Firstly, Jesus is keen to eat this meal again with them in heaven. This is heaven where there's no hunger or poverty or thirst or sort of physical deprivation, and he's keen to eat it again, which tells me that it's not all about the food. There's something else going on here. Secondly, like the whole of this series, we're looking in Luke. And if you've ever thought this about Luke, he's, he's a doctor. He's always explaining the details. He's always explaining how Jesus' miracles can do what modern medicine can't yet. And Luke, the same Luke, skips from the very beginning of the meal with the bread and the wine to the very end of the meal with the wine again. Skips out the entire meal altogether. And what I take from this is, Jesus isn't cramming this Last Supper with how-tos, with learning objectives. He hasn't got his PowerPoint out or for the, all the Anglicans among us, the flip chart. He's not being um, testing. He's not saying, right, how do you cast out a demon? Tell me in five seconds what's going to prepare you for the future scenario analysis. He's just using that time to spend with them, to build that community. When Jesus is at the table, we can build community, authentic community. They can just chat about what's on their heart. They can ask him questions. They can just spend that time together. They don't need any teaching in this moment. They just need his presence to be there. That's all he knows that will keep them going in the days and weeks and months and years to come. He's valuing community here. Second story we're going to immerse ourselves in. We're going to zoom in on the use of a meal for learning. How we can learn about Jesus, how we can learn about others. And uh, we're going to look at a story where Jesus joins two travellers on the road to Emmaus. They're going home. He joins them, acts naive and asks what they're talking about, even though the biggest thing of all time has just happened and three days ago he died on a cross. It's kind of a, a usual topic to expect at this time. And uh, yeah, he plays naive, they tell him this has happened, and they're quite hopeless. They're kind of like, we expected this guy to be everything we'd ever needed, and now he's in a tomb. Or not in a tomb, and now we're really confused. They've lost all hope, so we're going to slot right into where, where Jesus responds to this. 
So Jesus said to them, so thick-headed, so slow-hearted, why can't you simply believe all the prophets say? Don't you see that these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory? So then Jesus started from at the beginning with the books of Moses, went through all the prophets, pointing everything in the scriptures that referred to him. They came to the edge of the, the village where they were headed. He acted as if he was going on, but they pressed him. Stay, have supper with us. It's nearly evening, the day is done. So he went in with them. And here is what happened. He sat down at the table with them, taking the bread, he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. At that moment, open, wide-eyed, they recognized him. And then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't it feel, didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened the scriptures for us? What I love about this passage is he goes through the entirety of their scriptures, the entirety of the Old Testament whilst they're on the road. That's a long walk for starters. And secondly, that's a lot of information to be taking in. And guess what? They still don't know it's Jesus. I mean, surely someone with that much knowledge you'd have heard of, you know, there'd be a, a, a face of the household, you'd know that person if they were that scholarly. But no, he chooses to reveal himself to them. They recognise him when he sat down in the flesh at the table. Don't know about you, but I'd be kicking myself if I were one of those two. I'd be like, for goodness sake, you gave me that much information and I didn't recognise him for who he was. I feel like I lost my chance to ask him loads more questions, make him go deeper into some of the answers he's giving, ask him what it was like to be raised from the dead, ask him what's around the corner in the future. Ask me about if there's any more of the Bible going to be written. I'd be curious. I'd be impatient to know more. But Jesus chose to reveal himself when they were sat at the table. I'm kind of like this with the future as a third year. I'm so, so eager to know what's around the corner. To me, in the third year of graduation, feels a bit like a cliff edge. And the optimistic students among us see that as a chance to fly. And this slight pessimist in me thinks I'm just going to fall straight off into a chasm of I don't know what. And Jesus just tell me, so I know it's all going to be okay. But he keeps telling me and teaching me time and time again, my presence is what you need. To know I'm there then and now is what you need to know. And to spend time with me is the only worthy way to prepare for whatever's at the end. Jesus chooses to combine facts with the flesh at the dinner table to reveal himself. We can know all the theology, read the entire Bible back to front, and that is rich teaching. That teaches us a lot, but to be in the presence of Jesus is incomparable. To spend time with him, to learn about him is incomparable. And I find it fascinating that he uses the dinner setting to share that. It's not like we weren't with him on the road, but that setting in particular to share that. So, as followers of Jesus, we're called to copy him. And I don't want that to thank you, a ton of bricks to weigh down on your shoulders and for your checklist to get ten times longer. He knows our capacity, he knows our context, he knows our desires, but we're called to live lives that are continually trying to be more like him, trying to see more of him. So let's get practical. Let's look at how it can impact the way we eat, because we all eat. Let's look at how we can invite him in to perhaps disrupt it a bit. 
I want to look at two ways in which we can see more of him at our tables, invite more of him at our tables. And the first one is that with Jesus at the table, we can create a space for forgiveness. In Arab culture, they have this thing called the sulla, and it's a meal of reconciliation, a meal where a divided family might come together, warring parties might come together, friends that are going through a time of disagreement might come together. It might even be an atrocity that has divided these two groups, but they come together, what's called a sulla, because they recognise that sitting eye to eye, getting on the same level literally, having the power of hospitality, of inviting them there in the first place, of preparing a meal for them to share with them, and to seek understanding and show compassion at a dinner table is quite a powerful thing to bring about healing and forgiveness in relationships. Now, seeking understanding and showing compassion are non-negotiables if you're a follower of Jesus. That's what he does. That's what we should be constantly trying to do more and more. But how can we do this? How can we bring this home to our tables? Maybe cast your mind, who, who would you find it uncomfortable to have a meal with? Who would you find it awkward to have at your dinner table at your home? To sit across the table from eye to eye, who would just put you on the edge of it? You're not quite sure like, how you can start a conversation with them for a full 90 minutes and three courses. If you can't quite think of anyone, let's look at it on a bigger scale. Societal groups that would really do with a good dinner together. Let's take a group of 30 young black American men, sit opposite a group of 30 police officers. What could take place in that, that scenario as they share dinner together, as they share life together, as they seek to understand and show compassion? Could forgiveness take place? Now what about those we already invite? Let's look at another way we can use this table to invite Jesus in. What about our family that are already around our table, or our housemates that are already around our table, our cell group that's already around our table each week? With Jesus at the table, we can create space to love, to love freely. In Jewish culture, they see the dinner table as like a family altar. Come to it, you lay down your heart, you lay down your life, you share life together. It's a safe space to be vulnerable. Literally, a Jewish host, hundreds of years ago, um, was like a protector to whoever was at the dinner party. He'd literally be willing to lay down his life for if anyone were to come in harm's way, if anyone were to enter the house and want to disrupt the meal, he'd literally be a protector for that safe space for them to come together. And the power of a family meal, because anyone we invite into our homes, to our dinner tables, kind of for that moment, they're kind of family, aren't they? Anyone we invite to a family meal, the power of that family meal, I don't think it's an accident. I mean, research literally tells us that having a family meal each day protects adolescents, protects them from um, negative and harmful behaviour. They're a lot more likely to slip into those kind of behaviours, I'm sure some are popping to mind right now, if they come together, have that safe space with their family, share that time together each day. 
Maybe it's as simple as, as creatively as you like, saying grace before dinner, literally explicitly inviting Jesus to your table. And I wonder if you can think of any ways that that, that time shared together can be a safe space, a safe to come with whatever day you've had. But I think what it all comes back to is that first and foremost, Jesus invites us to his table. He invited the disciples to the Last Supper, to that first communion together with him. And um, we're only learning to copy him. We're only learning to um, share that community as he did, to invest in it, to learn about each other and learn about him. He invites us to learn about him first. He invites us to receive forgiveness from him first. And he invites us to receive his love first. He's showing us how it's done. It's not a matter of us doing more. Already have meal times. It's a matter of us letting God do more. Inviting him to do more in a state of, in a space that we already have carved out of our days. Communion, holy communion, when it's done in church, isn't meant to be as abstract as sometimes it may seem. It's meant to be replicating those things that were gained from that last supper, that first communion, that time with Jesus, learning about him, being in his presence, and gaining from him whatever the disciples gained from him when they sat there. When they were there, immersed in whatever he was saying, whatever he was doing, it's meant to be that time of intimacy, coming back to him, remembering him. And I guess as we look at eats in this series, we're looking at yet another way that we can just invite more of God in our everyday, more of God in our routines and the things we already do. And I wonder, I wonder if we can imagine a way that this can really impact the way we eat. I'd like you to, to stand. And I'd like you to close your eyes. And I'd like you to imagine a meal you know is coming up. Your Sunday dinner tonight, your staff lunch in the week maybe, food with your cell group, dinner with your housemates as they all arrive back. Imagine Jesus at that table. Imagine a chair if you like. Imagine his presence being recognised, acknowledged as being there. What would it bring? What would it change? What would that safe space feel like, look like? Was it like for you all to be aware of his presence there? When I was thinking about this, I was thinking maybe maybe some of you would be really helpful. Maybe yeah, I initially thought families, but it doesn't have to be by any means, but to literally put a chair, an extra chair around the table, just to physically, tangibly acknowledge that Jesus wants in on this time in your day. Jesus wants to be with you when you're sat at your desk doing that working lunch. Jesus wants to be with you in that hurried breakfast before the kids go off to school. Jesus wants to be with you that Friday night takeaway when you've given all you've got to give this week and you just want to blow up on the sofa. 
I'm just going to pray for us and then uh, the band behind me are going to start playing. Feel free to sing, feel free to just wait if the Holy Spirit's nudging you. Father, we thank you that you're here, that you want to speak to us. Father, would none of the words that have been said fall like a burden that's too much for us to bear? Would it also not wash over us if anything's meant to stick? Would you fill us, Holy Spirit, with your boldness to invite more of you into our lives? Would you fill us with the courage to invite you to our tables? Would you fill us with the strength to find time for forgiveness and for vulnerable love in our week? Would you fill us with the strength to copy you? Would our meals, Lord Jesus, be an act of worship to you? Giving you the honour you deserve in our households, giving you the honour you deserve in our day. Holy Spirit, how do you want to transform us today? What do you want to stir in our hearts, God? What are you pointing out, Father? Would you speak to us now? Into every circumstance that this can impact God. To those points in our day when we when we stop for food, how can we use it differently, God? Who can we use it for? How can we glorify you?